looking, uh, he's looking dapper. Be Mr. The Legend, as I like to call him, and I don't use that word loosely. The legend Gerald Broussard is in studio, former Raging Cajun offensive lineman, former Cajun coach, color analyst for football, and uh, a great storyteller. Good morning, G. How's it going? I'm doing good. It's good to be with you. It's been a long time, too long. It's been a while since we've done it in studio. I yeah. I, I want to say, you did you ever come in after the pandemic? Maybe once or twice. Yeah. But a lot and, of times it was a, something brief on the phone. Yeah. It's been, it's been a little while. Well, a little hesitant, you know, like the pandemic it. hit us all different and, and, and stuff like that. And then uh, actually ended up, so it, it's almost a year now since I had heart surgery. It's uh, about 11 months, 10 and a half, 11 months, something like that since I had heart surgery. So that kind of changed things a little bit. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's been a while, but everything's groovy now, running the streets again and having a good time talking. Feeling good. Yeah. Feeling good. It's yeah. good to have you in here. Um, hard knocks. That was that was something we used to love talking about, and then I think the last time we talked about it, it was the Cowboys were extremely disappointing. Yes, and then the year before was kind of disappointing, and now they've got the Lions, and of course, you know their head coach Dan Campbell is just a soundbite waiting to happen. Yeah. And my thing is, if they if they can't, and I'm interested to see Tracy on the show, yes. Tracy Walker, but if they can't. If they can't make a good season out of the Lions, I, I, I will go ahead and just put a fork in hard knocks and say it's done. Well, and, and a couple of years back when they had the combo hard knocks with the Raider Chargers kind of going back and forth, that was the one that was just okay. the, the Rams, right? Yeah, was, yeah. Ram, right. Rams. But even the year before that, the Raiders one was kind of here's, – here's what I'll say. The Raiders one was a red flag to me because Antonio Brown was – yeah. on the Raiders, in camp, and all this stuff was happening in the actual headlines. Yep. And Hard Knocks barely touched it. They just showed him working out all the time. And I said, this show is officially no longer behind the scenes. It is they, – they've given the edit button to the teams. Right. And that's, what, that's when you lose – that's when a show loses. If you want a reality show about a preseason camp to really, like, slap – you can't give the edit button to the team because they're just going to be like, here's how we want people to see us. Yeah. Well, you had Richie Incognito and Antonio Brown on the same team. <laughs> Fireworks, just, right? Yeah, I'm just saying hang out with those two dudes. <laughs> you can send out two cameras and just watch. And, and you don't need to edit or talk ever. You know, but, but yeah, we enjoyed the Texans one a while back. It was great. Know? Yeah, that was a lot of entertaining stuff. So, no, and, and look, Man Campbell, as he is, as a, you know, kind of a cartoon character himself, Having to see, getting to see uh, Tracy is going to be awesome to see how that goes and see if there is a, a little bit of his presence in there. Um, but no, we, I, I enjoy it, and I tell you, Julie likes it, and then it kind of brings back some of the stuff that we got to go through, you know, when we were coaching and stuff like that, because she still remembers, you know, having the players over and hearing them and seeing them, and and, and she gets a kick out of it because we, when we moved all over the place and lived all over, she, you know, the thing about it was. Our our players, it didn't matter whether we lived in Lafayette or Arizona or Tennessee or Lake Charles or Nacogdoches or wherever, they're all the same. And 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 guys are guys, they're of that age group, and then all of a sudden they start making money. And when I was handling the scouts over here, the scouts would come in and say, what do you think he's going to do You know, when you, we give this guy $10 million bucks? I don't know. What would you do? I mean, I'm looking at a scout that's 40, <laughs> 50, 60 years old. How about if I give you $10 million? How's that going to change your life? And then I've been to camps and seeing how they really are the, the lack of what they do to nurture those guys into situations, and, and, and it doesn't surprise me some of the things that go on. 
But the personalities that are able to come out, now everybody's got their own uh, channel to, to get their personalities out now with the social media thing. But back when Hard Knock started, that was where you got to see, you know, Tony Saragusa and Shannon oh Sharp gosh, and all that, that stuff. Ravens. The old Ravens. <laughs> yeah, and then every now and then we say, oh, look, there's Brandon, you know, and stuff like that. But, yeah, those were all good. And I hope that they can maintain it because I do enjoy that part of it. it um, there's a few things I've, I think I've learned about Hard Knocks and how it's some there were some i guess things that like i i thought i knew and didn't cuz i always figured man if you did something like this and it was like regular season where the drama's dialed up it would be huge well they finally did it with the Colts and i i don't watch any of it because by the time it airs you're too busy covering all the other football yeah. high school college pro November is like kind of sweeps for the networks and TV and all there's just great television everywhere it's like it gets I, I don't. It gets lost. If it was the Saints, of course I'd watch it. But other sure. than that, I'm like I don't. I can't make time for that. I always. So that was one thing for me. A reality check. Like actually doing it in the season. It didn't. No, it didn't. It didn't slap. And there was nothing. I guess if there had been a moment from it that everyone was talking about, mm-hmm. I might have been like, oh, I'm gonna. I need to go check it out. But there was none of that. It kind of just came and went. Um, and then the other thing was. I don't know. I just figured with real sports and NFL films and HBOs, like they'll always kind of at least try to keep it as real as they can i get you can't show everything but when you have the cowboys last year and i i couldn't even get through it i was like this is a snore yeah it's the cowboys yeah. i mean it should be should be all so now you've got the lions and dan campbell who i don't even know so you, you're drinking coffee right how much coffee you drink g probably too much but i i drank i don't know four cups a day not as much as dan campbell this was him this was a while back but this is him describing his coffee intake each day so normally what I do is I get, I'll get two venti. I go to, you know, Starbucks. I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them. So black eye and both. That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day. Like, I mean, I, I went and did, I went and like looked up the medical side of this and what it would do to someone. And like, if I did that and I drink a lot of caffeine, I was like, this would actually kill me. My heart would explode. I don't know if he like, if he's going over the top for the cameras, which I kind of think he might be a little sure. bit. But he is, he is, he's a bit crazy. He's like, people might not like this comparison, G, but if you take yourself out of, and you know this guy I'm about to mention, if you take yourself out of where you live and and, and what you know about him, Ed Ogeron in the world of college football, maybe outside of Louisiana, is just known as a personality that, a soundbite, a caricature in some ways, mm-hmm. a guy that's just made for TV. You can get so much out of him. Dan Campbell is not like not like Coach O in terms of where he come, came from, but he's from the South. He grew up on a farm. He was a military kid. His, I mean, in terms of you know his dad, and he just feels like this this cowboy that would be out of like a a, a TV show, like almost mm-hmm. a reality TV show where right. everything's over the top. So. They've got the lead for this year. It makes sense. They can't screw this up, right? No. Well, they can. They can. If they do what they did. I just hope they let it run. And you mentioned uh, Coach O and, and, and we call him Bebe back in the day. You know, But Bebe's been a cartoon character since he's been alive. And, and so I met, I met him in the summer of 1979. We were in a high school all-star game together. And, and so uh, – you know, he after he, he actually signed with LSU, went there, and ended up transferring to Northwestern. It, you know, he's got some stories of when he played defensive line at Northwestern. 
uh, you know, playing against McNeese and challenging the whole team, saying run it right here, run it right here on fourth down and stuff and stopping him and all that. But then hearing stories of him and Bobby Jay at school, I, one of his high school teammates was a guy named Andy Martin who's in the Hall of Fame for us here at UL. And, uh, you know, so we had some interaction, a bunch of interaction during the college days. And <laughs> Bebe was always Bebe. You know, he just had that cartoon character about him. And and it's it's warranted. And it's earned, and it it's just him. I mean, it's he's been that way his whole life. Um, we he, he did a, he was speaking at a coach's clinic here in Baton Rouge, and um, he was at University of Miami then. And I had a guy from Lafayette named Coach Madonna, Dixie Madonna, was mm-hmm. up there. So Ed's talking about his D line drills, and um, <clears throat> he looks for a volunteer to go up there. Well, Coach Madonna is sitting in the front row. He always in the front row. And a uh, coach had been injured several times in World War II, but made it out and was a strong, had strong, strong man, but was a little physically limited just on some some issues about mobility. So he goes up there to help Ed. And I'm looking at and Ed's like clubbing the heck out of him. And it's a no-no. So I got to go up there and be on offense. And he gets mad at me for coming up and taking Coach Madonna out. And I said, no, no, I'm just here so you don't hurt him. Don't be yeah. This old veteran. Dude, it was a fight. A 30-minute fight up there. I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, don't start all that, you know, using bad words. And oh, we're yeah. cussing back and forth at oh, each yeah. other under the mic. He's got a mic. We got done with his talk. And, dude, I'm like, uh-uh. I'm going home. I drove all the way back to Lafayette. He ended up at Floyd Brown's that night. And that legendary what happened after that. But but anyway, he he had just always, he's full speed. And he said, you know, man, they got this new stuff. They call it Red Bull. He said, man, drink five or six of those. It's five or six of those. I'm saying, you know, but but that's just kind of their personality, and they go and they they stay wired. Uh, him, Dan Campbell, Dana Holgerson's a guy that's known to enjoy partying a little bit, but also a guy that's known to drink a lot of energy drinks when he's on the clock. I'm just like, you guys are, y'all are just cut different, man. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say this about him. Uh, well, I, I I don't know enough about Holgerson. I mean, I know his career, and I know the stories of him enjoying, you know, hitting up the casino here and there, but. As far as Dan Campbell goes, I mean, even though the Lions were bad, it, it, you got the sense that the players really love the dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really wanted to play for him. Um, where's that line, G, whenever you're that – what, what, what the outside world was de- would deem as crazy, what the football world would deem as this is just football to the mm-hmm. to the max. What's that line you walk where it's like the players are taking you serious, especially today's players, right? They're younger. Mm-hmm. And – Man, what's what's this guy doing? Like, is this this is too much? This isn't just just this isn't working. But you got to be true to you, whoever that you is. And I know that was part of you know, Bebe. Bebe got to where he was Bebe the whole time. Then he became Coach O, and that became a whole different character in there. And and you just got to be true to you and who you are and what got you to where you are. The hard part of it is, is that there's so many other things, so many outside influences that will force you to either put yourself out beyond where that is and then you start living that character life as opposed to just be be what you are and who got you there and that's the hardest thing you know we we say it all the time um you know coaches will tell you i don't read the newspaper and it's a lie everybody reads the newspaper everybody hears uh, I, I stay off of message boards and stay off of facebook stay off of do that it. because you know and that's a hard thing to do and the other part of it is is that we can do it coaches can do it all they want but your family tends not to and so when, when they start to see, and you can tell them, don't, 
But, you know, it's like telling a little kid, hey, don't touch that stove. It's hot. What's the first thing they're going to do? Go reach for that stove because mm-hmm. you told them don't, don't do Don't pet so. that cute dog. It'll bite you. Yeah, yeah. And so it just is what it is with that. And so you end up trying to uh, live into all of these expectations that you just can't. And it's it's so hard to insulate and isolate. And and you it's it's really got to be both. I mean, you've got to insulate yourself to where you can't feel the outside. And it comes from the isolation of being there, but but you've got so many other people that you deal with. I don't know how a guy like Coach Napier does what he does with the expanded staff that he surrounds himself. That's a with. lot of yeah. It's just he's about as organized as he gets. He and 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 he spends so much time managing that, you know, managing that whole thing, and that's the thing that you know Coach Saban's able to do, Coach Napier's able to do. Uh, you know, Coach Smart's able to do it, Georgia. All those guys that come out of that tree that have gone through and still believe in that model, you know, you, you see Coach Saban. I've, I've seen him speak over here. I've been around him several times. He is, he, you know, he's got his persona that he, what you see is what he is. He's totally different around the players. You know, you talk to players who yeah, he does these nuts jokes. Yeah, with the players. I mean, <laughs> has a ball and look is a heck of a DB coach and still coaches Will defensive backs. Ride the DBs as hard yep. as you. I mean, I mean, the defensive back coach wherever he is coaching is the highest paid assistant, graduate assistant because he's coaching them. Right. Okay. Those that guy is like his assistant to it, but he's coaching the secondary. And it's awesome to see that passion that he's able to do. And it's just it, it it's so hard to like I said, to to maintain that that insulation around you and the isolation from it when you are so exposed to everything. And and uh and, and, uh, coaching is a lot different now than it was when I was coaching and, and I I truth be known, it's I think it's harder. You know, to do what, they, what these guys are having to do now. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. That's Gerald Bruce. You mentioned Coach Napier. Um, I, I'll give him a shout out. He texted me Sunday. He told me Happy Father's Day. Much as he's got going on. Yeah. Said, oh, hey, Billy. And then I see on Twitter he has some sunglass emojis up. I'm like, this dude's working today. Mm-hmm. And he's taking the time to text a few people, probably a lot of people anyway. Who knows if it was even him? I'm not going to be cynical. It was very nice. Yeah. Um, no, I like Billy. And uh, to manage that staff and and, you know, you, you were bringing up Coach Joe and getting too much into the persona of Coach Joe, and many felt like that was kind of some of the downfall at LSU that happened quickly. Um, when you have the success and that – look, when you don't have success, the persona is made fun of. When you do have the success, it is propped up to godlike status among some fan bases. Mm-hmm. I've heard um, – Rest professional wrestlers before that have had issues talk about not being able to turn off the character because then they they just want to live it and they want to be right. out in the world and they never want to, you know, and how it, it, it can drive them mad. You've heard actors before say they got a little too much into a role and I would imagine you said it's difficult. As a coach, you better have a discipline about you to be able to turn it off when you get home mm-hmm. because I just read um, Coach Matt Deggs' book, 15 to 28. Really enjoyed it. And as he went through his journey and his spiritual journey and, and, and finally achieving sobriety and stuff like that, there's one part of the book where he was talking about, you know, separating baseball when he got home from family. Like, you walk in the, you know, family, they, they don't want to become as invested at times because they see sort of the mental toll and all that other stuff. How hard is it? You mentioned you and your, your wife, Julie, and, you know, I know your son played college ball, John. Y'all traveled a lot as a coach. How hard is it to – is it easy 
or hard to turn off when you walk in the door? It, it's as long as you're focused on doing that, it's not hard at all. Um, had always had the support of Julie, always had the support of John, you know, with that coming home and being dad. Um, I, I started coaching. I was 24 years old when I got hired, actually coaching some of my old teammates. And so I was called Gerald or big G. I mean, been called mm-hmm. G my whole life and, and in the room. And that's what I was called. If it had been up to me, I'd have never been called a coach. I'd have just been called G my whole life. I was fine with that. I didn't need the title coach, you know, just the respect I had of the the guys that I was coaching at the time and the players, and I still see them, and I'm still real close with a lot of them. Um, but then as as I get there, and, and I, you know, I tell players, you know, you have that Louisiana on the front of your jersey, and you play for Louisiana and all that stuff, but you better remember that name on the back because that's who you are. Because that Louisiana is going to be gone. That name on the back's not going to change very many times. You know, nowadays, you know, most of the time women take our names as males. But, you know, you're going to keep that name on the back. And you got to be able to do that. I, I, I've told people when you get out of coaching, I, people still call me coach. Okay. And it's just because I'm around athletics. And, and if I, I bring you up to Jake DeLoma Brandon Stokely as Coach G. Yeah. But, but you know, I'm very comfortable and more comfortable if, if they would just call me G. I really am. Because I'm not a coach anymore. Uh, I was, and I, and I did coach you, but but I'm, I, you know, I, I try. I wanted to be more than that to the guys that I was with, um, because anybody can be called coach. You got to be able to live it, you know. And, and and there are other things that go along with that that I think people tend to forget. You know, I, I'm I'm in and around a lot of people outside of the industry that outside of athletics that are in the industry. I'm in in sales, and they have coach on their card. You know, their name and coach on their card. I'm like, dude, you ain't no coach. You know, but just put your name. Go be that guy. Yeah. You know, go be that guy and be proud of that guy. Uh, you know, the the ego of that word doesn't. It's not something that I'm settled with real, real good. Now, look, I'm I'm fine with it. You, you mentioned that I I played at USL. I coached at USL, or UL, USL, and UL. I was a ball boy there too. You know, I'd be real cool if they'd say, "Hey, ball boy G." Ball boy G. Yeah, I didn't I, even know that. Yeah, that's, no, that's wild. I was, that, that was I had more fun as a little kid running the sidelines and, and running balls that's and cool. seeing if I. I remember the first time I threw uh, the ball all the way across the field to the other ball boy. You know, which uh, fifty two yard, whatever it was, and and I was a kid. I could, but I could always throw. You know, I remember standing on the hill and trying to catch an extra point from Rafael Septian when he kicked it. The ball didn't spin in over in; it spins sideways. And it would beat you up because oh. back then they had a kicking ball, which almost looked like a soccer ball. It was overinflated, and it was so hard to catch. But running that sideline, Mark Lalonde was a friend of mine, and, and we would ball boys together and had some other guys in there. But but I, I say all that because when we would get home, and, and, and Julie would bring it up and has brought it up more than once, don't treat me like your player now. We kind of get a little, you acting like I'm one of your players. I'm not your player. Don't treat me like your player. Don't treat John like your player. You know, you be a dad and be a husband. And mm-hmm. she and she was always really good of reminding me. And, and you know, being the... That's dirt, good. You know. No, I mean, she's, she's, she's a, a wonderful woman. And I've seen, unfortunately, some coaches, you know, maybe at the high school level, um, you're a head coach somewhere and you're kind of... Again, I don't want to say godlike status, but you're oh, you're a celebrity. You're, though, you're, you're calling sure. all the shots. You're dealing with kids in their formulative years, so they're looking up to you in a in a. People say coaches are like father figures. That's not wrong, but they're they're looking at you different than your kid is. It's just mm-hmm. a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing if you like if cause if you're a high school coach, you're talking about teenagers. Your teenager mm-hmm. kids probably looking at you. I mean, it's, it's the teen years. They might be sure. looking at you different than 
a player on the team. And they the players on the team have something different to gain. It's just it's totally different. But you you go from being like all of that all day, and then you go home and it's you're not getting that, right? Mm-hmm. You don't turn it off, or you or you get too addicted to being fed the idea of man, I'm in charge. This is the best. And if you don't turn that off. It unfortunately, it it it's that's why some some coaches can't handle it. Yeah. That's why some coaches and and you know they they go through a separation or divorce or it's just. I think that's. That, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I've seen that story play out in the real world. And when someone explained it to me years ago, like, what happened? And someone's like, you go from being the man. All day, every day, the team's winning. The city loves it. You go home and wife with young children, and she's been, you know, changing diapers, and the kids are crying. They they don't want to come home and be like, "Hey, great job," or they 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 just need dad. So, like you said, to have that focus of I'm going to turn this off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's just vital for any coach, and, and you need to have obviously an amazing spouse to make it work, um, but. To be able to, to to flip that switch on and off, I think is the is, is probably one of the biggest keys. And it, it's something that takes a concerted effort. I mean, you have to be able to do that. Uh, I remember when I was working with Louis Cook at the time, and and I always don't say for Louis because he would say, "No, Brent, we work with each other. We don't for you." But but um, Julia called and said, "When are you gonna be home?" I said, "Ah, six forty-five, seven, be something like that." And I hang up the phone. And he looks at me. He said, "Brent, never give her a time. Just tell her as soon as I can." Mm-hmm. He's and inevitably we're late that night. Eight thirty, nine o'clock, we come home, and she's she's mad. You know, thought you could be here two hours ago. Well, look, and it wasn't like I ended up at a strip club or at a bar or something like that. We we were at work, and and I got back to the office the next day, and he said, and, and I, I'm not saying he kept us there on purpose, you know, but he said, well, how was the house? I said, we're not very good, but I appreciate that, you know. But uh, he said, next time you just tell you get there as soon as you can. And I'm I not told, sure, as yeah, soon as I can. And I told her that, and and I've always tried to mention that to other young coaches too and try and help guys when they get in just you know number one don't be too full of yourself because it ain't that hard to blow a whistle you know it's really not you go out there you talk loud and you blow a whistle um and then and you know you try and get in depth into whatever you're trying to teach and all that stuff but but being around the young guys and trying to to i don't want to say impart wisdom on them but you know just to kind of give them some examples of stuff uh, you, you know, if if you just try and be a dude, a good dude, then things are going to work out okay. But then sooner or later, that's gone. I remember my first Father's Day, Father's Day just passed, happy Father's Day, uh, outside of coaching, I'm at the house, and I get a car from John. And I thought I had been a good dad and tried to be, have John involved with everything, be around, bring players to the house, make them part of the family, family be involved in everything we did, everywhere we went and all this stuff. And my card from John was, it's nice to have a dad instead of everybody else's coach. And um, that means that's awesome. But it made me feel so bad because I said, well, did he feel like I was everybody else's coach first? So now we're, I'm a grandfather. And, and, uh, uh, I guess I, I, you would know more. I, when I hear that, I take it as something different. Like, yeah, you treat me, I'm your son. I'm not like everyone else. But yeah. in the moment, I, I was, don't know. I was it defensive. Was, yeah. I was. And, and, that, and he, he said, no, I, I didn't mean that, you know, but yeah. that's how I took it, you know, sure. so. And then when, when he had, and I've heard people say grandparents better than being a parent and all this kind of stuff. But when, when John and Ari had Vans, the first thing I told him, I said, remember this, I'm your dad. I'm going to love being a grandfather. And, dude, I'm, I really am having a good time being grandpa. And uh, 
little boy urinates outside now, kind of proud of that. You know, I had a really good moment this weekend was his first time to go in the grass. Something about teaching the young ones. <laughs> just when you're in the backyard, no one's around. Yeah. I had to teach mine that for a while. You don't just you can't just yeah, we'll pull up and, 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 and shoot anywhere. Yeah, we'll worry about that one. <laughs> so anyway, but but now, you know, and and and, and, and I'm very always appreciative of for how John is raising Vance and his relationship with Ari and all that kind of stuff. But to keep telling him that um, you know, and, and, and talking to players from back in the day, because we go through it as coaches, but players go through it too. Um, you know, you're around UL, the, the guys who are around UL and going through the success they had and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden it's other guys getting those accolades and, and having those successes and stuff, and they forget. You know, it, it, what made it easier for me, Scott, was was I was here, grew up here, played at Lafayette High, had some success in mm-hmm. both sports, and then go to USL and have some success, go through some injuries, but end up getting hired as a coach, young, and I'm here for a long time, have some success, and then they bring in a new coach, and I don't get retained. And so I end up moving to Scottsdale, Arizona, coaching for the Fighting Artichokes, Scottsdale Community College, you can go chokes. And so we're out there, and nobody knew anything and could care less. You're out in the valley, you know, they didn't care whether you coached or whether you're a truck driver or whether you worked in all fields. They just didn't care. You didn't have any of the familiarity of – no. Yeah. So to your point, you were when you first started coaching, there was already people already knew who you were because yeah. it was home. Yeah. Right. They are, and then you go somewhere, and it's like, and this isn't as glamorous, right? This yeah. is it's yeah, a, being a fighting artichoke. Did you were you expecting time. that? Were you or, or were you expecting it, but not fully prepared for it? I if that makes sense. I half expected it, but I wasn't ready for it. Gotcha. And then actually, yeah, yeah. I. I, I because Julie and John were here. I didn't have nothing to do. So I would sell cards on the weekend working at uh, uh, Showcase Pontiac wow. and Camelback. Uh, nice guy, a guy named Bill Mastriani. And, and he called me coach, but he said, Coach, we're going to get you out here and teach you how to sell and all this stuff. If you can help us at the car shows and on the weekend. Big car area out there in the valley. So anyway, I did a few of those car shows, had a good time with it. Just give me something to do and stuff. And people would call me coach and I, they, because I had coach on my name tag, you know, instead of Gerald. But they put coach on. So anyway, I go and you come up, Scott, welcome to Showcase Pontiac. What can I show you today? And he said, well, you got coach on your name. I said, well, you know, I, I work over to junior college. Well, what's your name? That, that the word coach out there? It didn't help you sell cars? It didn't help me a bit. Really? <laughs> it didn't mean nothing to him. <laughs> didn't mean Especially when you tell them, yeah, hey, I work for the Fighting Artichokes. <laughs> that, that wasn't that big a deal to them folks. They just want to know if you could get it at 250 a month for four years. Yeah. Can you throw in some spinach and artichoke dip or go. else? That's the only kind of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sweeten the deal there. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. It is, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it's something that I, I, I never, I imagined coaching as the, the best part of it is that community you get um that's similar to being a player that community you get with the other coaches and being able to fill that every day as opposed to going to a job where you don't really talk to too many people um but there's so much about it that's especially when you consider people see all these salaries some of these coaches are making now and you know oh look what billy made when he went to florida and all this stuff it's like you realize that's like one percent mm-hmm like every other business, oh, the coaching salaries are skyrocketed. Well, that's true, but consider every coach in America at every level. Again, like any other job, there's a there is a one percent, and then there's everyone else, and it's that's 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 life as a coach. And I'm not saying you can't make a good living coaching, or that you didn't. I mean, you you did a great job, and you've always supported your family. But what I'm telling you is, 
coaching never seemed glamorous to me. From the mm-hmm. outside, it always seemed like, in some ways, a thankless job, a very, very important job. I always said, man, if I have kids someday and they want to play sports, I just, I pray they get a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never, it, it, it just, similar to teaching, it's so important, and I respect teachers so much. Um, and, and, and they do deserve more, and coaches do as well. But I was just like, that's, a, that's just tough work, man. There's nothing glamorous about it. You know, I, the difference is I don't know that sports fans, you know, look at, at teachers the same way they look at coaches. I think there's this – there's – we talked about sort of the, the, the celebrity of it all and how there's this um, – I don't know. There's just this image, I think, at least maybe on social media in the younger generation and seeing these coaches have success and in some cases be like rock stars. And it's like, that's just, that's really not how it is. Yeah, it's it's it, it's such an ego trip, you know, for it. And, and, you know, I was an offensive lineman. So, you know, people, they never cheered for me. You know, they cheered for Dwight Prudham, you know, our quarterback. They cheered for Dwight and Michael Saab, our running back at Lafayette High, and Mark Byrus and, and, and Matt Roth, you know, <laughs> Matt's a friend of the show and stuff. And they cheered for all those guys. And every now and then we'd actually throw a pass to Dwayne DeLome, you know, got DeLome's funeral home, stuff like But they didn't cheer for me and Courtney Oliver and Glenn Yockey and Doug Domang and, and, and Brian Kenny. We were the five offensive linemen. They didn't cheer for us, you know. Uh, because they didn't know us. And, and then, you know, you get to UL and, and USL back then, and, you know, Mama was working at on campus at the bank. And I had been a ball boy over there before growing up. And, and so I, I knew the university, I knew the campus and all that stuff, and I knew everything about them. But when I got there and started playing, I, they didn't know if I was playing or not. Nobody knew if I played, you know. And, and uh, so with that, that, you know, I had a, a, a little bit of celebrity being around Lafayette and for people knowing me, but they really didn't know, you know. Uh, I've said it a lot of times broadcasting, the best thing you can have is a local player that's good. The worst thing you can have is a local player that's not because they hear it. Well, I was a lineman. They didn't know if I was good or not. Nobody still knows if I'm good. Everybody thinks I was good. I wasn't no good. You know, I just was a big dude. And uh, so anyway, but 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 when when we were here, and going through it, and I, I would tell people when I was recruiting, this is such a fun town to be a college athlete because you wear your Raging Cajun gear around here, and look, it's I know LSU is a big part of Lafayette and stuff, and I'm not mad at LSU for getting anything they get. I'm really not. I, I, I don't have a feeling about them one way or the other, as most other schools. I'm just a UL guy. But if you go around with Cajun stuff, and they see you, and they know you, and you're big, and they treat you, and, and look, it was a fun place to go to college it was so much fun to be around here and our, our players and the kids who are going through it here now are having a good time with that ego part of it and then it's gone and then you got to go on and get a job and 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 so now with that though what do you do are you going to get that ego you know because the first thing well, i'll play for the cage okay yeah but you don't you know so that don't mean nothing how does that now. help me this yeah, job moves the bottom line up Everybody wants to know what do you bring to the table, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I'm in, in sales now and I, I manage a group and, and I sat there yesterday. We had a, a, a weekly sales meeting and stuff and we've had a, you know, it's all field. Dude. If you're not making money in all field right now, you need to quit because everybody is. Um, and so we've had a few good months and, and our guys kind of the last two weeks have kind of rested on it a little bit. So I'm challenging them about let's have another good week and all this kind of stuff and um, really kind of giving a coach type talk. And then I look over at our operations guy, and he's like, dude, I can't handle anymore. We need to get some more people in here. We're running short on staff and all. So we had to pull back and have a whole other conversation about how to handle the next couple of weeks to get our products the way we need to get them. 
But all that being said is that part of the strategy of putting groups together and motivating and all that stuff, I still get to do, but it ain't the same. And uh, that's what, you know, you, you miss those kind of strategic planning type days and, and those long nights of putting a game plan together and then the opportunity to see them succeed, you know, and then, and you get immediate satisfaction when all of a sudden you know you put it in a situation and you're going to call this on a certain time or you're going to execute this on when I was on defense on a certain time. And then you see it work and you're like, yeah, damn. All right, it was worth coming home late. You know, and just for one play. That dopamine. Yeah, it's awesome. It's real. It really is. It's real. It's awesome. ESPN yeah. Lafayette, best ticket in sports. If you get into it for the right reasons, you can have a lot more rewards yeah. in coaching than just, you know, the financial side of it. If you mm-hmm. get into it for the right reasons, you you, you reap the rewards every day. Mm-hmm. Yes, being Lafayette. So with that, kind of started on uh, Hard Knocks and Dan Campbell, which led us down the uh, the coach. But I, I, I love the stories. I love the perspective. Um, and as a guy that, that did it in your level. Now, I'm, I imagine you have a lot. How many friends do you have that you know through coaching that are no longer coaching but doing something else? Oh, several. But the majority of the guys that it, – it, it's weird. I talk to coaches right now who are still coaching, and they ask, how'd you do it? Because I, I, I didn't have an exit strategy. I didn't know what I was going to do. The first job I got outside of coaching, I actually sold cars, like I told you, at the dealership only because I was waiting to get on to junior college. Then I get hired at the junior college. The guy wants to hire me and keep me there selling cars. And I said, no, no, dude, I'm a, I'm a football coach. I'm going to do that. Well, then we get cut loose by HUD over here and get cut loose. We just didn't get retained by HUD, and I didn't want to move. And so I had a chance to continue coaching, but we were going to have to move. So John, I come home and tell John about it, and he said, well, Dad, you'll never see me coach. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to see you coach. I said, I'm not going to take the job. He said, well, you have to take the job. I said, I don't have to do anything. At the time, I was 48 years old. I said, I'm 48 years old. I can do whatever I want. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. And um, I didn't. And I didn't know, you know, what I, – I, I just didn't. But – you know, with a little faith, with a little support from Julie, uh, figured we'd work it out. You know, we'd figure it out. And um, we did and have been doing it for the last 12 years. The One of the funnest things ever happened, though, was because of this, Jay Walker and I got to do a high school game when Dan McDonald had back surgery and couldn't do it. And it was a Karen Crow High School and Calvary Baptist at Karen Crow. Uh, Brent Endes was the head coach at Karen Crow at the time. And it was like 60-something to 50-something. It was awesome. It was like arena a, football. We had a ball, and we got through it, and after we were closing everything up, and Jay, Jay told me before we started, he said, hey, just act like it's just me and you in the living room. We're just watching TV. Let's just talk. And we did for two and a half hours. So we closed everything up, and he goes, they're not all this fun. He said, but this was fun. So that was in September. I don't talk to him or Dan the rest of the year. And in January, he calls me and asks, he said, would you like to – do color for the Cajuns. And he said, they'll actually pay you a hundred bucks. I said, wait a minute. They're going to pay me to watch John. That's what it was back. A hundred yeah, bucks. hundred bucks. And, uh, he said, um, and cover yeah, your uh, expenses when you travel. Yeah. And, and you get to watch, cause I was going to go cause John you get was to playing. watch your son. Play. Yeah. And I said, and it worked out cause John was a long snapper. If John would have been a quarterback or even a lineman, I, I, I don't know if I could have done it because I'd have wanted to watch him. Well, he only came out certain times during the game. So, but you were watching him like a hawk. Yes, and um, so anyway, we um, I got I got to do that, you know, and got to broadcast his career, which that was, I mm-hmm. mean, dude, it was really. I, cool. I got to ask you something about that. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports, Scott Prather. That is Gerald Broussard. This is the Great Scott Show. You can you will know this, so correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. John had a ton of long snaps. Mm-hmm. 
there was only one that wasn't on the money. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I remember you calling that game, mm-hmm. and Jay wasn't sure what happened, and you immediately just said, well, John, yeah. it was like I could hear that's, that's his dad talking. Like, mm-hmm. John got a little... Was that difficult in that moment to just call? Because it wasn't like, well, the long snapper or Broussard. It was just like... No, it was my son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now, no. now, considering only one out of over 100, I mean, of all the snaps and the, the, the Brett Bear kick and all this stuff, I mean, he was about as money as he can get as a long snap. It was one mm-hmm. play, and you were calling it. Was that tough to not just call but then continue to do the game after? It was, and, and it was actually against Troy here and and put the Cajuns in the bind. But they ended up coming back and winning the game. And, and I say come back. I don't know that Troy ever took the lead, but they were able to win. Um, at the time, John always had his hair cut really short and stuff. He cut his own hair. And so uh, he had grown his hair out, though. And and he was living in an apartment. Was Hanging out with all campus. those specialists is what yeah, it was. Yeah, they all had, they were groovy. all letting their yeah. hair grow. So uh, that night, we, we meet him, which we always met him at the car after after the game and stuff. And usually, you know, he'd give him a hug, the kids, tell him to love him, and go have fun and be safe, which I never had to worry about. John, first time John ever had a drink was his wedding. Oh, night. I know. Yeah, I've so, heard the story. We've yeah. t- they, the story has been told on this show before. Well, <laughs> James Butler told about how Boris Anyama, Dr. Anyama, like, Filmed yeah. it, and John was like, oh, it's awful. <laughs> didn't and then Boris just that. did another one. He's like, nah, it's great, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're so bad. They had a good time. We did have a good time with that night. But but anyway, so we, we meet at the truck after, and we're talking, and he breaks down. He's just, he's distraught. You know, and he, I said, well, look, be safe tonight. He said, no, I'm coming home. So he ends up coming to the house, stays with us at the house. So I'm sitting up just watching TV or something, and I hear some noise in his room, and I go look, and he's cutting his hair. He said, I lost my motivation. I lost, my, I lost my focus. He said, all of a sudden, you know, I forgot. He said, what it took to get me here and all this. So he cuts his hair, and um, I'm worried about him, you know, because, but like I said, the Cajuns won. That's a big thing. You overcame it. There were some snaps after that he, he did good on. And the next morning he gets up and he shows me a text. He got a text from HUD. And he said, hey, I know, you're, I know it's tough, but you made the one that counted, which was the next one. Keep your head up see you later today and so that's the that's what a coach can do that's what and that and look john was never a fan of hud hud coached the specialist or was over the specialist but was really because of john's the 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 techniques and all that stuff as long as he didn't get a lot of coaching over there because nobody knows the technique so we would work at the house and stuff but but that meant more to him at that time. And he comes back, has a good career, finishes off and all that stuff. But, I mean, it was close to 300 snaps, and he has one bad one. And But but it could have gone either way. And th- the one text from Hood made it okay. That The agony of we, – we think so much of kickers is that agony they live with when they miss something. They've got a lot of opportunities. They're in the spotlight mm-hmm. a lot more. Boy, you don't you, as a long snapper, just don't be in the spotlight. That's you wonder, what Trey Junkin. I don't know if you, you know who you, Trey Junkin. Is. So I was about to ask you. I know he's a yeah. friend of yours. For yeah. those that don't remember, there was an NFL playoff game between the Giants and the Forty Niners uh, in the early two thousands. Terrell Owens is on the Niners. Michael Strahan's on the Giants. So um, that's what you know. Jeff Garcia. I don't even remember who the maybe Kerry Collins was still with the Giants. Maybe I don't know. But Giants are. Roll. I mean, they are just destroying the Niners big time in a playoff game. And it's at Candlestick. And then the Niners start coming back. 
coming back, coming back. And your friend Shrey Junkin had not been a long snapper with them all year. They they had called. No, him he was in, retired. Right? He, was, he retired. was retired. Their long snapper gets hurt. They call him in. So I'll let you set it up. But but to long story short, as far as how the game went, what I remember is. Giants are, are they, it's an epic collapse, mm-hmm. and then suddenly they have a chance to win it with a field goal, and then if you win it, hey, you didn't. Everybody the, forgets. The, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the house, it, you know, it got through the storm. It was a little shaky, but the roof's still there. Everything's still intact, but if you miss that kick or you don't, it's just, it's an epic collapse, and then your, right. your friend Trey Junk and the long snapper. He makes a bad pull. I mean, just makes a bad pull and just doesn't get it on there. They don't get the kickoff. Um you know, they they lose the game. Um, Trey had coached, been coaching long snappers forever. He, he's always, you know, one of the sayings. In fact, John worked with a kid last week. Uh, and then when we first went to see Trey, he put John on, on a post, like a fence post. It was a goal post, but it was single skinny at Winfield High School. And it's always aim small, miss small. You know, just find a small target, aim small, miss small. And it's kind of his saying. Speed's not important. Accuracy is and all this stuff. Well, that was before I, I got to know that after this, it all happened. Well, we're trying to find Trey, and he goes in isolation for, I mean, he ends up in the woods somewhere in North Louisiana for months um, and just is distraught. And it wasn't because of him. It was because of everybody else he let down. Right. And, and he said, you know, I had a great career, but I took a playoff game away. A playoff said, win away from a group from, of guys. That, he said some of them will never get it back. So anyway, we end up years later kind of getting to know him a little bit. And we go in his house, and now Trey's my age now. And, and at this time, you know, John's getting ready. He's, he's snapping or getting ready to go to USL or UL. And um, he's still got sledgehammers by his, his recliner. And he's doing his drills and doing all this stuff in his house. And he said, if I, he said, if I ever get called again, he said, I won't come up short on that pole. He said, I don't care if I'm 100. He said, I'm going to drill every day. And he said, if I ever get called again, he said, I'm going to make up for it. What do you mean sledgehammers? Why, why, it's, part, it's part of how he just all he does sit trains, there. just work yeah, his... just work your forearms. He, we ended up getting a couple of sledges for the house. John, if he comes to the house right now, he's going to come grab them and just it's work your wrist. Yeah. That's got Vance, Vance is playing <laughs> sledgehammers. Go. This yeah. is your grandson. Yeah. See, I, I'll even before I knew you knew him, I would always remember the name Trey Junkin because I remember – the story well because in the locker room after he you know he was a pro he wasn't avoiding the media mm-hmm. but i'll just never i just it, i will never forget what he said and the look on his face and how distraught he looked he said i just ruined it for all these guys yeah. and to be retired and then come out i mean i don't know what he did with that playoff check but he probably didn't even cash it he's like yeah, he i don't know he yeah. burned it yeah i mean there it is it was just i was like i just there's sometimes in sports where you can just read the agony on someone, and I was just like, this poor guy, man. This and he poor was guy. such and a good athlete. Played at Louisiana Tech. But that's what he's good. That's what yeah. you remember for now. Yeah. Unfortunately. Forever. Um, you As know, far, in terms of his professional career, yeah. yes. Obviously not those close to him. But, yeah, if you, the only reason I know the name Trey Junkin, it was, right. it's not you, Jay. It's because of yeah. that play. Yeah. I would have never known it. Sure. You know, I, I – can't even name you the Saints long snapper at the moment. It might come to me in a minute. I remember Kevin Hauser because he did it for years and then got, you know, let go of the team because he got them all involved in a weird tax thing and they lost a bunch of money and <laughs> they kicked him off the team and then he uh, was gone the year they won the Super Bowl. But 
again, I, I the long snapper names I tend to remember are ones that they they had a mistake, mm-hmm. you know. Right, and that's the thing. You're, you, a bit, you in a big moment. You want to maintain anonymity. As long as nobody knows who you are, you you've done well. I remember and, seeing John. I think it was before I know you. I um, I was I went to a practice. The end of a practice for some media availability. It was probably HUD's second year, maybe third year. I don't remember when it was. Anyway, Brian, big guy who was a former SID there, I asked him about, he just misunderstood what I said. I asked him, who's uh, number, you know, it wasn't 82, which was your son. Mm-hmm. And he's like, huh? And he, and he had to like pull up a roster. He's like, yeah, that's uh, John Bruce. I'm like, no, no, not him. And that, I mean, SID didn't know who he was. Yeah. He was like looking at a roster, you know, and I was like, I guess that's what you would want as a, you know, obviously HUD knew who he was. He was the head coach and he was a specialist coach, but were there players that you coached that you just didn't know their name or did you always know every single one of their names? Oh, I wish I could say that. Uh, <laughs> you knew no, the, you knew the guys you work with, but yeah. And, and, and I, I kind of always was around the specialist too. So I knew the snappers, I knew the punters, the kickers, the holders and all that stuff. I, so I kind of always knew those guys. But no, there have been several. And, and look, when you're in it as long for 30 years and, and you got a couple hundred a year that you go through, there's going to be some that, that I just didn't remember and don't remember. And I've, I've got guys that, that have come up to me and said, well, Coach, I was at USL or I was at, uh, I was at Scottsdale or I was at, 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 at uh, UT Martin. And, and you know, Facebook is really good for stuff like that. I actually uh, just had to change my Facebook stuff because of some – I don't know why, but, but anyway, I did – and um, so I, I lost some contact with a lot of them because when I first got on Facebook, it was the guy, the players at Stephen F. Austin that made the Facebook page for me. I didn't know what a page was. I yeah. didn't know what that meant. But they said, oh, we're going to put you on Facebook. And, okay. So just And I didn't know how to get to it for years. But by the time I did, I was like, well, this is really cool. You get to see pictures of guys and where they live now. And so I liked it for that. But but no, when, when – um, yeah, there there are several people that that I went through through my coaching years, and I'm finding out now that were there when I was there, and I I get asked all the time that you know so I forget I was at work this last week, and somebody came up to me and said, well, look, I met so and so. They said they played at UL uh, from this time to this time. Do you remember them? I said no, but that doesn't mean that they didn't play. Yeah, you know, I just don't remember them. You know, uh, you mentioned Brian McCann though was the SID for that, and him not really knowing who John was. He did something really cool when uh, Jay and I were getting ready to broadcast. I think it was the last New Orleans, Brian's last New Orleans Bowl and stuff. We did some remote stuff for the station down at, at the walk-ons uh, down on Poitras. And Jay and I are getting all set up and all this stuff. And Jay getting everything done. We're sitting at the table and all. we're getting ready to go on an afternoon show. And, and I guess it was Bird's Eye View back then mm-hmm. and everything. He goes, look, I'm a, I got to go. I'm going to let you take that first segment. He walks off. I said, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I, I can. And Brian walks up with John. Mm. And he says, I'm going to let you. I remember that interview. interview well. And you said, Brim, this is kind of weird. Huh? Oh, <laughs> That's what you said. And, and John kind of laughed. He's like, really weird, Dad. <laughs> but uh, no, and it was, uh, that was, I've still got pictures of that. I know. That, that was It was really fun. Cool. It yeah. was fun. It was cool. Um, yeah, I remember those weeks well. A lot of work in those weeks, but a lot of stories, a lot of memories. And, you know, um, for the Cajuns in this past New Orleans Bowl, play Marshall. Now Marshall's coming into the Sun Belt. How how do you feel about conference realignment from a football standpoint? What do you like and what do you not like about it? I, I, I like the new 
people I like getting back involved with Southern Miss. Uh, actually, the, the company I'm working for now, the ownership is right down the road from Southern Miss. One of the owners uh, graduated from Southern Miss. So the night before, and we play them on a Thursday. So the night before, I'll go spend a day at corporate. Then I'll go over and then broadcast the game and then come back and spend a the day there on the way back. So that's going to make it fun. I was talking with Coach Wingarder, uh, or yeah, but but talking with him a couple of days ago, and they're actually the team is going to fly to the Southern Miss. And I'm like, fine, it's going to take you fly. longer to board the plane than it is for the plane. But anyway, that's they're, they're going <laughs> to okay. fly because it's coming off a short week. And I'm, so all right, all right. anyway, they're they're you know, but but getting back involved with Southern Miss. Lance Gidry being at Marshall, I tried to see him. Uh, Lance and I coached together at, at, at McNeese. He played at McNeese. He's been around and a uh, very good defensive coordinator, was a head coach at Karen Crow. I have a relationship with Tried to see him before the bowl game, went down on the field. He actually had not come out yet. And then I get a text from him after the game, dude, I'm sorry I didn't get to see you. We'll see you next year. And so I look forward to seeing him up there. But, but you know, Marshall has got some history to it and they're a good football team. And so I, I think that the Cajuns did add some good team to to the conference. Um, I think the conference has grown and is strengthening a, a little bit, and it, and it makes it fun. I, I I still think that the East is way better than the West, way better. And, and I would like to see the West pick up a little bit, you know, I, I – Coached against Texas State when I was in the Southland Conference. Um, have some friends that went to old Southwest Texas, you know, back in the day, and, and uh, stay in touch with them a lot about that. I would like to see that pick up a little bit. You know, I I, I saw Moon, you know, behind you over here, and, and thinking about ULM, ULM and ULM grad Moon Grafon. And look, I, I I'm probably this isn't going to be real. Cr- they can be garbage as long as they want. I'm happy with that. Sure. Yeah, I feel good about I that. Mean, gee, why, why, yeah, I mean, gee, that's but, my school, gee. I, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I can't pharmacy. I'm moving reform. But I like when Arkansas State's good. I've always thought that that makes for a good rivalry. And so Arkansas State, you know, pick it up a little bit. And, you know, they're, they've got some strength in there if they just get back to it. And um, so anyway, I, just, I like the conference. I, I, I know that the people are going to kind of question some of the midweek stuff, the October midweek stuff that we go through every year, but I'd rather do it in October than what the mid American conference does. And they do it in November, you know, and so they end up messing with their schedule in November to get the publicity and the coverage from ESPN. You mentioned hard knocks during the week and stuff, you know, and I kept up with it only because I'm, I'm, I'm fans with some of the Colts front office. And, and so knowing those guys, uh, I wanted to see how they would, how was it? Did you enjoy it? no, Boy, good. I didn't. I should. I'm so dumb. I'm sitting there rambling. Early. I didn't even watch it. I, I mentioned that I didn't watch the end season hard knocks because uh, it was just too much. There was too much happening. It's like mm-hmm. in the middle of the season. I'm like, I, the actual football's on right now. I, can't, I don't well, I felt like I had to force myself to watch it. Yeah, and, and so that maybe that skewed my opinion of it because I was trying to force myself to watch it in between. So when we're getting ready to do a game, I tr- nowadays with with YouTube and 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 um, you know you can get every game on television that you want to watch, and I always try and watch the, the previous three games of the opponent we're getting ready to play, and just to get a feel for what mm-hmm. they like to do and stuff like that. I keep up with the Cajuns. I don't need to watch the Cajuns. I keep up with them, but the other opponents. So I'm when I'm trying to watch that. And then there is some midweek stuff that I want to watch and you know, some professional stuff that I want to watch to force myself to watch a reality show that's a week behind that I already know that. The outcome, yeah. right, right. It just didn't fit. It just didn't fit with me. So I was not disappointed, but just it wasn't something that kept my attention. When Hard Knocks used to do it right, the real drama of who got cut, seeing it in person, it was, it was tough. 
the the behind the scenes stories when you get to know a player and a little bit more about their journey. That's like the heart of the show. And then some humorous things that maybe the coach does something or a guy dances or whatever, like a prank, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, they don't do rookie hazing like really anymore. It's okay. totally different now. So it's, I don't know, man. It's a show that I feel like will still be around forever, but it's lost its, uh, I mean, I, there are a lot of shows like, I, I, I never watched Grey's Anatomy. I couldn't believe I found out the other day it was still on the air. I was like, What? Still on the air. You got me with that. Yeah. That thing, that thing. I was living in New Orleans when that show first came on. I feel like I've, I've been back in Lafayette a long time. I'm like, that's still some shows just they keep going. I feel like Hard Knocks will be one of those shows, but uh, take back the edit button. Mm-hmm. Right, so, peel, peel back the curtain enough that it's real and not, well, this is, this is what this team wants you to see and not see. Well, and now, though, so many things. I don't want to say it. it's so politically incorrect, racially incorrect, all around. Just, just uh, socially incorrect. The locker room, yeah, is so fun and so gross, and it's it, they but, just but can't show that you on just, TV. And, and you know, just it, teams it, would take too much backlash for it. Oh yeah, and and you, there's no way to know. I mean, and look, and and. and I'm a 60 year old white guy, you know, and I was raised in there and I, I've, I've been around and I've been the minority almost every team I've ever been on. Um, but, but that's still the, the, the fun of that, you know, the fun of being in there, the fun of cultures coming together and the way it comes together, you know, the country of it. And it, and I say the country, cause it doesn't matter if you're in, in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, you know, where when I was recruiting, we ended up bringing in a bunch of South Florida kids. And so we bring all these South Florida kids and we've got these Arizona kids. And then we've got this one guy who's from Four Corners region, uh, who's a Native American. And, and he had no history of his life. There was nothing. He didn't have a birth certificate. He didn't have anything. He was born on a reservation. But boy, he could run. Golly, <laughs> could he run. And so all none of that mattered. Mm-hmm. Because once you started throwing and catching... And blocking it, that's all that matters. The locker room is a true, one oh. of the last true melting pots where it really is. And anything's, anything could happen in here. And it's going to stay in here, but it's, yeah. it's not what a TV network would want to show what a melting pot is. It is just a 100% legitimate. You can't, like, there's not too many places where you just have a 100% true melting pot of people in their formulative years than a football locker room. Well, and 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 to be honest, everybody's exposed. You're all naked. <laughs> you you're getting naked, you're going shower together, you're doing all that kind of stuff and 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 you get picked on. Everybody gets picked on about something. And and that's just kind of the way it is and you either get thin skin or you bail. Uh and most people don't bail. You know, the and, and I I Maybe one that I remember that just just couldn't take it, and we had to fight the team to allow him in because it it really bothered him, and and they did they, to to their credit, but man, they didn't want to. We said, Coach, we're not doing nothing wrong, but kind of you are, <laughs> you know. But but if it's all out of love, was just he takes it different. Yeah, yeah, you know. Well, we really didn't mean to shave his head and and leave one spot you th- in you there. Think, and you think you think that's 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 going away. You think in today's culture, the locker room in terms of – because you're talking about some different generations coming up and perceiving things totally differently that back in the day, well, I'm not offended by that now. It's like 
I don't know. I From where I come from, you can't do that. I'm very offended. And I'm not talking about anything specifically. I just mean yeah. in general. I, I think that we all hear things now that we all take different. And, and I say we've been an older guy or a younger guy because so many things are put in front of younger people. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a parent of young kids. And so many things are put in front of them that we never, it never was put in front of us. You know, I, I know, you know, the first time we were exposed to, to black kids was when I was at Ega Martin in the seventh, second grade, you know, and then some kids came in and then they just came to the house. I mean, because that's where we were playing. They were our friends. And so they came to the house. And, and so anyway, we, and it was all because of athletics. It was all because we were playing sports and being around it and stuff. Um, I know. John came home from school one day. He said, Dad, he said, we're white. I said, what do you mean we're white? He said, yeah, we're white. He said, uh, Uncle Buck is, is black and we're white. I said, we, Ron Brown is who we called Uncle Buck. He was one of our coaches. And he he didn't know what white and black was. He said, uh, he said they taught us at school. You know, the, the, but the, I was so disappointed in that because the innocent, he, he was, he, for his first six years of his life, he was raised in a locker room. Yeah. You know, he didn't know Uncle Buck was his uncle, you know, just like Uncle Louie and Uncle everybody else. That's all his uncles. He just didn't know. And and because you don't see that in there. Just totally, totally different. And and it's 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 crude and it's gross and it's awesome. And and you know, but you know, it it is, you know, now things and look, I I've got friends that we Clarence Glenn and I. You, you know, I think you know who Clarence is. Clarence is a fireman, played at UL, kids played at UL and stuff like that. He and I call each other a name that we will holler across the room. And it's not the N-word, but it's something else that, that you know, it's racially insensitive. He called me that. So I just called him that back. His wife calls me that. And now I'm thinking, I almost said it. <laughs> Probably best not to say that out loud right now. But I promise you, if he walked in right now, he'd holler it right now. There's things in and a locker just, room that you... You know, just, yeah. and and I get that hard knocks can never do that yeah. now. Yeah, it's just, but it, I think things it's changed. But that's the stuff, you know. Now, some of the 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 personal journeys, you know, I, I like to see that. But I I also want to see some of the personal conflicts that go along with that too, mm-hmm. because that's put it this way: the backup ain't pulling for the starter, Mm-mm. and I don't want you to try and tell me he is because he ain't never has. You know, I, I I know we were going to talk about Brad McGuire and stuff. You know, Brad just do that passed in the next away. Segment. Yeah, but but you know, I, I remember when Chris Mason and Brad McGuire and 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 go, competing hard for the starting quarterback yeah. job at UL. Good friends, and how it was so hard on those two to maintain their friendship, and they did. Credit to them, they did. They were able to. Says something about Brad McGuire. We're going to talk about Brad uh, in the next segment. We will get into some CWS talk and. Ole Miss, man, you're the last team in, and you might be the last team standing. When, as a coach, you can just feel, okay, this, is a, this isn't just a little bit of momentum within a game. Something has changed. We'll get G's thoughts on that. I want to remind you guys, Eat Lafayette's happening all summer long. Visit LafayetteTravel.com, or uh, you can go to ESPNLafayette.com, click on Eat Lafayette. Tons of new specials, ton of options for you. You eat at delicious restaurants, you eat local, you keep the money in the community, and you register every time you eat at one of those restaurants to win a trip to Charlotte with the Eat Lafayette Passport. Learn how to get it and win it over at ESPNLafayette.com. We'll take a quick time out. We'll be right back. We haven't taken a break yet. we got to catch up 
I'm Scott Prather. That is Gerald Broussard. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Gerald Broussard, Coach Brew, is in the house. Happy to have you with us on this Tuesday. You referenced the Brad McGuire there. Brad McGuire is someone that uh, I know was your your son was very close friends with. I know your godson was very close friends with him as well. Uh, my friend Cody Juno, that's who we're referencing, your godson, and live with Brad. And um, I, I didn't know Brad well, but I do remember, you know, being in the media. We used to have press luncheons, and every week they'd feed us, make us fat and happy. And, you know, the coach would speak in, in various sports, and then players would be made available. And then, you know, a lot of players would come in. They'd be friendly and cordial, and they'd kind of keep to themselves, except Michael Quave. He would just go in, and he'd use the mic like he was doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember Brad being in there a few times, Brad McGuire, and he was just like, he'd just sit down and just kind of just pick up on a conversation and just start shooting the 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 breeze. I'll put I'll use that word. Just, mm-hmm. just start shooting the breeze and... I remember telling him, I'm like, dude, you kind of look like Tim Tebow a little bit. And he was like, yeah, some of my some of my teammates call me that every now and then. Um, but in hearing him talk, and then the next guy that talked, and then in, you know, Andre Huval, I think, was there one day, and someone asked him about Brad and the things he said and the things the coaches would say about him. I mean, a guy that was, by his senior year, like Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best athlete on the team will play any position and just do whatever it takes to win. Academic honor roll commissioner's list almost every year. Extremely intelligent, grad assistant. And so I, I was friendly with him, but I didn't know him. But I knew a lot of people that knew him well. And to say they would speak highly of this guy was an understatement. Um, and then when, when we got word last week, I, I got word from some of you know my friends that were friends with him that he had passed in a car crash. I was just so taken back. He had just started practicing as an ER doctor, and it's – you know, it's just a reminder of how fragile life is. But, you know, there's been a number of UL players just in the last 10 years that have unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. Darzell Washington tragically outriles Brad McGuire in this car accident. And, you know, Brad was a young man that you coached, that you knew well, um, that your son was very close with. I know it's it's been very difficult for a lot of people. But tell tell our audience a little bit about Brad the player and Brad the person as you know you knew him during those those formative years yeah and, and as you mentioned Cody as you know my got child and Cody and Brad and and Brad Bustle and Kyle Pertle were all living together and they had a house right there there's a new car wash off of Johnson and and Roselawn Boulevard mm-hmm. um but if you go up Roselawn just past the car wash first house on the left so they used that every day <laughs> so they used that <laughs> drive down that road for everybody every day. to park and and you know Brad when when I got here and and you know Cody was around those guys all the time and and just seeing how they treat Brad was so mature you know, he just—he was an intelligent guy. He was a fun guy, but just mature. He didn't have the, the the youthful silliness, although he was playful, but just was was really mature. Uh, you know, it was going to be who's going to be the quarterback after Michael Desmo, and and you know, we mentioned uh, uh, Chris Mason and Brad McGuire, and they were going to have to compete for the job and how they were going to handle that, knowing, you know, the the team was so Brad, you know, because everybody, you know, Brad was our kind of Superman type guy, so. When when you I, I got a text from Chris Lano Crippa and and so I, I get the text I'm in a hotel room in, in Austin and uh, our little town outside of Austin and um, I look at it and I, I not, not not Brad you know just not 
he kind of Superman. He did everything, mm-hmm. you know, um, and kind of was half asleep. So I put it down and woke up the next morning and and looked at it again. And I was, like, you know, then I started looking at everything. And then I think about John. And he let John know, but he already knew at the time. And and, and then the word got out quickly. And and then I think about Cody, and then I hear from Cody's dad, and, and just uh, you know, actually Brad ended up moving into Cody's mom's old house with Cody's sister Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you would think, well, they can't let a college guy live with a single girl. But it was Brad. It wasn't a college guy. It was Brad. You know, it just didn't worry about that. You know, he's going to take care of everything because he was that kind of guy. And 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 knowing that, you know, he was. He was a doctor, going to be intelligent, he's an intelligent fellow and just a mature fellow and, and a consummate team guy. Whatever you need, you know, I, that's what I will do. And, uh, you know, he never checked up, never never gave in to a lick. He was always full speed. And um, it, it was kind of hard. You, you mentioned those other names. I think of Sean Thomas. I, I yeah, actually sorry, coached I and yeah. played with Sean's dad, you know, Quentin. And that was one of the ones a while back, having to go through that as a father of a player and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and talking with John, oh, you know, during the week about it, he said, that's just too many. And, and you know, and a couple of weeks ago, I lost two teammates in a boating accident in Toledo Bend. And, you know, that's just the reality of life. You go through that. You hate to see it with guys that young that haven't lived their whole potential life, you know, but... Um, and you know, Brad being a, a father, and I know that there's some people trying to put together a scholarship in, in honor of him and for his son and that kind of stuff. So um, it's very humbling, you know, to go through and, and you see it, you know, you see the, the Tony Robo shows and the Big Land Williams and the other people like that that go through that. And, and you know, it just life is fragile. You know, and as I mentioned that a year ago, I take a physical and they say, okay, well, you got this little issue we need to fix and it's going to take open heart surgery to do that. Well, look, I, I tell you, it's not that big a deal until you say open heart surgery and then it becomes a real big deal. Um, but but I'm fixed, I'm fine, it's all groovy and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, and I, John and I and Julie have had several talks about the, just, you know, the, the mortality of everything and just say, go through it, live your life and you can't hesitate, but don't check up. You know, just don't check up. Don't live your life. Try and love as hard as you can love and don't check up. And I know Brad was that way. And that was from the first time I met him. I mean, he's just always so welcoming to be around. Um, just a just a good dude. I mean, so, you know, uh, we talked about HUD earlier. And, and we kind of spoke a little bit off air about HUD and, and, you know, the persona of the HUD and all that kind of stuff. That was the thing that I think HUD struggled with, the ability just to be a guy. You know, he was always on, had to be on. But I know he had that ability because he showed it every now and then. A guy like Brad, he, he was always just he's, the, he's just a guy. Yeah. You know, he was a good dude. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that, that if you ask about him, nobody's going to say anything bad because he's just a good dude. He was always out to have a good time with his friends and be around him and treat people right. And he was intelligent and handled himself professionally, uh, in a fun way. And that's an art, you know, that takes talent to be able to do that. And it's not something that came, uh, easy to him. I know it's something he had to work at, but, but, uh, and we, cause we all have to, if you, if you want to be that way, but he's somebody that's going to be missed. He's somebody that's going to be remembered. And I think that that, that's, uh, you know, that's all we ever hope for is that at some point people remember you. And I know Brad won't be forgotten. There are a lot of people that are uh, 
kind of crushed by this. Yeah. To be honest. Thoughts and prayers, obviously, um, to all of his loved ones. And uh, just a reminder, everybody, you know what? If you're sweating the small stuff, let it go. Let it go. Just take a moment, count your blessings, enjoy life, tell someone today you love them that maybe you haven't told in a while. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say live every day like it's your last. I know that's a, a popular saying. I think I, if I knew for sure it was my last day, I might live a little. I probably wouldn't be on the air with you right now, G, no yeah. offense. But but, but live live every day like it's a blessing and uh, because it is. And it's it was, it was very sad, and I know a lot of people that, that love Tim that are hurting right now. And hurts to see them hurt, but that, that means that, you know, when they were here, they, they brought a lot of joy to a lot of people and left a big impression, and that's something that, that Brad McGuire did. Uh, I only knew him as Brad McGuire, the football player, but a lot of people knew him as so much more than that. Obviously, his family and his close friends and his former coaches and just uh, just very sad, and, you know, I guess the older you get in life, the more you see it, and Unfortunately, G, we, uh, you know, a guy that, that's been involved in broadcasting a lot just, just recently passed away as well. Yeah. Someone you knew in, uh, in Tom, right? Yeah, Tom Brown. And, and uh, yeah, Tom actually covered my youth and my sports and stuff. As I, I smile, we, we talk about Jay Walker, and, and Jay umpired my baseball games. That's how I got to know his Jay. I didn't know he was a disc jockey at the time. He was that's a, a uh it's a strike. Yeah. Well, he was, I, and I remember him from the field because I played first base. And yeah, I mean, you've been around Jay. Jay's always going to play. I've been around Jay a lot. in my life. But we're out there, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? All he wants to do is play. <laughs> but he was the umpire. He he gave me a switchblade comb that was a promotional item from the movie Grease. That's awesome. And so I kept That's it awesome. in my back pocket, you know, which the guy gives it to Great. me during the game. And we had a ball. I really did. I got to know Jay there. I got to know Tom that way. Uh, I, I, I jokingly tell people, <laughs> I guess I'm not going to get the steak he owes me because he owes me a steak dinner, um, which I won't be able to collect now. But but he... Uh, my my, I missed my first. I missed eighty one for a nerve damage in my back, and I didn't have use of my left leg. I came back in eighty two in a game and a half in eighty two. I blew out my right leg, and so I missed the remainder of that season. There was talk that I wasn't going to make it back, but I come back in eighty three. All these press lunches and stuff, and I knew Tom from baseball. Is how I got to know him from that. And he was a like on Channel Ten. He was a sports guy on Channel Ten, and so uh, talking with him, and he says. Uh, dude, I don't know why you're here. You're not going to make it through the season anyway. I'm like, well, douchebag. Yeah, I'm going to make it through the season. I bet, what do you want bad? I bet you anything. And at that time, you know, steak dinner, I couldn't afford no steak dinner. But he said, I'll bet you steak dinner, you don't make it through the year. Well, at the end of the year, we play San Jose State. And, and after the game and all this stuff, I go look for him. Hey, you owe me. Every time I've seen him since then, and that was in 1983, I know, I know, I owe you a steak dinner. I know. I owe, and so to this day, he still does. And, uh, I yeah, saw that, heard that yesterday. My old high school quarterback, Dwight Prudham, uh, sent me a text, and we, we visited about it, and it's just kind of shocking. I know he had a, a recent illness that he fought through really quickly, but uh, we'll be missed. Nice guy. We're a fun guy. A lot of fun. Just uh, thoughts and prayers, condolences to his loved ones. and Just love life, everybody. It's fleeting. On that note, we're going to take a quick time out and come back, and uh, it's – TTT this week, it's, I, I've, I'm not even putting one out there. It's just Gerald because his – I'm just going to tell you something. It's going to ruffle some feathers. No, but it's true. It's not. It's no, not it's true. true. It is true. It's not true. It's true. It's, a, it's an older song, but a song that many of you have actually probably heard recently yeah. for cinematic reasons. And gagged. 
No, no, come it's on. nauseating. It's a terrible I'm, tune. I apologize. I have to go through it. And we'll talk some College World Series as well. It's all coming your way on the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Gerald Broussard in the house. It's time for Terrible Tune Tuesday. I usually tweet out Terrible Tune Tuesday. You've been warned, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know what? I should thank you, Jesus. It's a good song you're about to play here, man. It's a good song. I disagree. Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly disagree. Yeah, it's not good. So it's just one of those ones. You, you've been on TTT a few times over the years. Yeah, one time you did that. That's nasty. Talk about, talk about. That one That one is, I, I didn't mind that one being a TTT. I understand why it was like a hit, but it certainly was it. Now, this one, this is. No, this one, I. to the core now. No, it was bad when it came out, and now it's coming back, and it's 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 worse now. And <laughs> when you mentioned, you know, TTT and uh, coming in and stuff like that, I was the first thing I thought. I said, well, but now I have to put up with it one more time because I know you're going to play it. Yeah, you know, yeah. But, it, it reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. That was its highest. It, it 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 charted in a lot in a number of countries, but number two in the U.S. back in 1986, thanks in large part to a film called Top Gun. Now, Top Gun Maverick's out. Have you seen it? No, no, and won't. <laughs> Why? No. I just this first, song is why you're not going to go big see part it? of it. Big part of the dude. So first, Julie and I had one of our first dates was opening night. Remember the movie Cocktail? Yes. Opening night of Cocktail. We were just talking off air about how being big is not always good. It's fun, but it's not always big. So we get into this theater, Northgate Cinema and mm-hmm. stuff, and it's so crowded in there. And I'm watching this dude, you know. Uh, Tom Cruise, and I want to jack him up, and I'm sweating, and I'm hot, and I'm miserable, and I'm gassy, and and I've got, I'm trying to impress Julie and stuff, and and he's such an over actor, and I hear the music, and it just nauseates me, and this one just, I, and look, I I know I'm 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 older, you can't do this kind of stuff, but if if they if if allowed to put hands on somebody, I would put hands on this guy, but I'm not, I'm, I know he is anything but a big guy, he is little, I know, and and he anyway, he's such a Ah, not a Tom Cruise fan. No, not a bit. I mean, a few, a, a few. I mean, all right. I, I'm not like I don't own any Tom Cruise posters. I, I've never considered him to be an act like oh, one of my favorite actors. I mean, he's been in some good movies, G. I, I don't disagree I mean, with a that. A few good men. I, I, Top Gun was great. No, he was nauseating. Top and, <laughs> and, and 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 a few good men. He the role he had when he's flipping it's, the bat and he's got to have his bat to think. Dude, I want to hit him with that bat. You know, it just I I see him and then. And look, the movie with the, I like the anthem part of it. You know? But but that's only because then all of a sudden, you, if you see it, they'll start playing the anthem, and then they show him, and then the song just goes away. And now this one here, this is just nonsense. all right on Terrible Tune Tuesday. This is Gerald Broussard's selection, not mine. Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Big 
Welcome back from TTT. Not a bad tune. I appreciate you playing that. That got me kind of fired up. That's horrible. Kenny Loggins. I, I noticed you didn't keep the headphones on, though. You took them off. I, so I know, and it's like a crank it up in the studio to make sure no, you were hearing it. Nauseating. To make sure you sat Poor there people, and listened. People were riding around. I'm sure that there's nobody listening now. They all changed the channel. Nah, now they're just like fist pumping. And <laughs> no, really Probably the only one who's going to like it is Crippa. Because Crippa likes the stuff that's just terrible. <laughs> terrible. You're talking about Chris Lano? He likes yeah. stuff that's terrible. 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 Now, I love Cripple. You know that. I mean, I, I, I mean, he likes you. I mean, I mean, he's friends with me. What are you trying to say here? Yeah, but stuff like this. He's he's gonna like it. <laughs> he he really is, poor fellow. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it alone. But I'm just, you know, that's the only problem with doing Tuesday in here is you got to expose people to something like that. Brad Topham is very upset right now. He'll get over it. He says I should be ashamed of myself for allowing that blasphemy. He, he'll get over it. I mean, it was G. G was the guest. I can't. No, Tom, man, I'm not. I can't tell him what he can and can't play. Yeah, I'm just uh, apologize. I'm sure he had to take a tums. You know, heartburn, all that kind of stuff, nauseating stuff like that. They got Pepto, the pink stuff. You'll be all right, though, Top. You'll be all right. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. All right, we're going to keep it here. Try to segue from that dangerous pick. Although I will tell you, a friend of mine. Um, she learned recently after 30 years that it's highway to the – her whole life she thought they were saying, I went to the danger zone, not highway to the danger zone. Obviously, she never saw the video either in, or her riding a motorcycle. In fractured <laughs> lyrics, Jay and I years ago were laughing about lyrics you miss here. We called it fractured mm-hmm. lyrics. And one summer we spent like two days giving examples and people were giving us songs and it – is what led to and inspired Terrible Tune Tuesday. So a good fracture lyric is always great. And my son, Callaway, had a great misheard lyric. And it was, it's every now and then someone will tell me one. I'm like, yeah, I've, you know, I've heard that one plenty. People bring up, you know, kiss the sky, Jimi Hendrix saying kiss the guy, or, you know, uh, wrapped up like a douche. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many that, it, I got my ass swipe. He's saying hash pipe. Is he really... <laughs> I can't believe I never so so we're in the car and a song that I like that Jay played on TTT once and I was mad at him because I think it's I get it's a cheesy song it's Breakfast at Tiffany's from the nineties. My son heard we're, my wife and I are singing it. He comes on randomly and we're like breakfast. He's like breakfast activities. <laughs> I was like we both laughed so hard. We're like actually. And then yeah. that's all we could hear after that. Yeah, he's got a what better ear than you. <laughs> breakfast activities, she said. I'm like, wow, that's all right. That is a that's a, that's a good one. It's a good one. And um, yeah, I went to the highway to the. But what do you, why, do, why do you hate Kenny Loggins? It's just it's Tom Cruise more than Kenny Loggins, but it brings it all back. And, and look, I'm not I'm not going to lose any sleep over Kenny Loggins either. I'm not a big fan of his, but but. Uh, I just think the song's horrible. Okay, bad memories, bad everything, bad just everything. horrible. Yeah, just it, it all goes back to kind of that little stint there. But I do appreciate the the breakfast activity because the innocence of the child's ear breakfast activity is awesome. Um, let's talk a little college baseball. I want to mm-hmm. ask you about Ole Miss for a moment. But yesterday in an elimination game, Auburn eliminated Stanford, uh, and then. Ole Miss beat Arkansas. It was the double elimination round. Ole Miss right now was like 
there are teams that'll that you know when they get late in the season they'll cancel a midweek game because they're worried about RPI. Um, you know, I saw this stupid take by some Southern Miss fan that was like, Southern Miss deserves some credit because they could have bowed out of their late season game against Ole Miss and they wouldn't have made it. It's like, you idiot, Southern Miss was trying to get the RPI points too. They hosted yeah. anyway. Yeah. But my point is, let's say that that one had gotten rained out mm-hmm. or lightning or whatever. If that game hadn't been played, Ole Miss probably, they fired their coach, yeah. who's a great guy. They've they've made all these changes. They would have been... You you change one thing if they don't sweep LSU if they drop one of those games there's so many little things because they were they were just so close to to getting in they went from the most disappointing team in college baseball to now they're in the driver's seat to win the whole thing mm-hmm. and you played baseball and mm-hmm. I know you've done you know color commentary for baseball and softball before um, and I say that be just to point out that G's not just a football guy mm-hmm. but you were a coach or were for many years how do you how do you know in a locker room when the momentum has truly – I'm not talking about a little momentum in a game where we've won right. a few, but when something – when there has been a, a essentially a 180, like, okay, this this has changed. I don't know what it was, but this thing has completely changed. How as a coach do you know when it happens? Well, you mentioned the change and the, the staff change and all the changes that have gone through, and sometimes you just – you don't know why – a team can't get out of its own way, but when they are free, when they're out of their own way and when they're free and just allowed to go, which you call it playing with house money, you call it whatever you want to call it, just last in, you know, should have been first out. Uh, dude, no, nobody expects we're going to be here. Let's just go play. Mm-hmm. Let's just go play. And and it's called playing sports. It should never be called working at sports. But when there are no expectations and you just allow your talents to go and and you allow you allow to enjoy your teammates and enjoy your surroundings and enjoy the moment we've been talking about it because of some you know some things that have gone on about just hey, live today you know because you don't know if there's well Ole Miss didn't have it tomorrow there was no you know they they're just lucky to get every day they got and now all of a sudden they get out of their own way they start playing freer and then they realize holy smoke we're good. And not only are you good, but yeah, you're good enough to win everyone. At some point, getting in, there was, I'm sure, a conversation in their building in their locker room, and just if we just get in, if we just get in, ain't nobody can knock us out. If we can just get in, and they did, and so now they're able to do it. You can kind of feel it with a coach. There's, there's a lot of times when you have different seasons, and I haven't been around a lot of them, but when you have some different seasons that. You'll know at some point you kind of that switch flips and the air of confidence in the room. There's no more. I wonder, you know, or can we or what? It's just we're not do. We're gonna win. That don't matter. Yeah, whoever you want to put in front, that's fine. We're, and look, we're not just gonna win. We're gonna beat the brakes off of you, and just because we're supposed to. Uh, I, I haven't eyes. followed Ole Miss baseball all season. All I know is in the season yeah. I talked to people that knew baseball, and they would say, I mean, Kendall Rogers came on my show before the season and late in the season, and I said, who's the most disappointed team? He said, it was Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Now if they win it all, obviously no one remembers all of that. Dis- Heck, I think they've already washed all that stink off, even if they don't win it all. And Oklahoma was my pick, and they're sitting pretty as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I, as, an, as someone that, if I just looked at this on the surface, I would assume, man, maybe they just kind of bought into the hype 
It poisoned the locker room a little bit. And when all the almost every car was left off the table, was it desperation or was it at this point? Who cares? Either we do or we don't. So we're just playing loose. You feel like probably the more, the, yeah. the loose thing. Yeah. Um, I because I, they they're not playing like a team that's desperate. They're playing like a team that's loose. Yep. And they have been since they kind of started to turn it around. And most disappointing team, last team in the tournament. You win it all. That's no one's, and no one's going to look at them as a Cinderella. If they were a, 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 you know, a team from a, you know, non-power conference that was the last team in and made a run, yeah, they'd be. No one, everyone would look at Ole Miss like, yeah, they were a preseason favorite. Yeah, you know, that's what people will remember. Yeah, a really good team won it all. A really good team did well in the College World Series. Well, and that's where it is with it when you start looking and analyzing because you talk about not following Ole Miss all year. Why would you? There's no re. I mean, they. they I'm not an Ole Miss fan, and I I don't follow yeah. college baseball outside of you know some low you know UL and some local stuff. Sure, and if if you're even if you're an SEC fan, at some that point they're gonna bit. they're gonna drop back because they are disappointing. They're having a bad year. They're mm. not doing what they are fully capable of, and so you lose the focus of them because there's no reason to. Them included. You know, I think at some point they they rode that that skid and they stayed in their own way, and then for whatever reason. You free yourself of it. And when you do, then your talents are allowed to play. You know, you used to talk about it. We were talking about coaching in the first hour and stuff. One of the things that I always concerned me and I was always worried about, I, I wanted to be a technician and to teach technique and to coach technique, but I was always conscious about, well, I wasn't always young. I wasn't always, but I got to where I never wanted to coach athleticism out of somebody. You know, just just allow them to be an athlete. You know, and 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 try and help them to be successful in whatever their skill needed to be. But don't coach athleticism. Don't get in their way. You know, God, um, God is a great strength coach. And he's a great teacher and stuff. And so let let his work shine. Um, but I, you know, I didn't want robots. I wanted guys who were technically sound and disciplined and all that stuff. But but it, it, when when it came time to play. Go play. Just go. It's called playing. It's not called working. Go play. And when you can play and have a good time, and, and we used to laugh about it and stuff, and, and, and nowhere else in football, you know, we always talk about it, nowhere else do you people cheer for you to go get in a fight. And, and look, you got all kind of equipment. You ain't going to get hurt. You know, let's just go, me and you, we're going to just fight. And for about three seconds, and then we're going to take a breather, and we're going to fight again. For about three seconds, we're going to take a breather, and then we'll fight a little while longer, and then I'm going to go sit on the bench, get some water. And I'm, uh, but I am coming back because we're going to continue this fight. And uh, how much fun is that? <laughs> we got to do that, and people, like, clapped. <laughs> and so I thought it was the this neatest is awesome. thing. Yeah, we get to go play and have fun, and, and it's physical. I understand that. And uh, baseball was so fun because baseball was such a team, but then when you went up to bat, it was just you, bro. And it was just so it was an individual part of being a big part of a team. And, and that's why I enjoy baseball. I was ba- way baseball. You know, Gerald Abert, we were talking about some people. Miss Claudia just passed. Coach Abert, who was my American Legion baseball coach, and lost his wife a couple weeks ago in prayers to him. Um, but I, Billy Rickman's dad was the assistant. And, and Coach Abert would give us all the signals and all this stuff, and we called Billy's dad W. And so I looked down at Powell, and so I looked down the first baseline. Coach Abert's at third, and, and Powell's at W's at first base. And he'd look, and he'd, he would just kind of give a dead hand to Coach Abert, W would. 
don't listen to him, Bruce Arden. He'd point to the outfield. Go for distance. He just go for <laughs> distance. He said, don't don't listen to all that. Go for distance. And so, you know, it was two total different personalities. That just made it fun. And we were good. Coach uh, Coach Matt Deggs, one of his philosophies is for the teams to play fast, hard, and loose. Mm-hmm. There's something about playing loose. When a team is feeling pressure, you see it all over them. And it messes with chemistry. And whenever you can – I think – all-time great teams are the ones that come in with expectations, meet them all, and play loose. Mm-hmm. That is probably the hardest thing to achieve at the highest level of sports. If you can come in where everyone knows you're the man and you still live up to the hype and you manage to just keep it loose, then you're that's when you go from possibly a championship team but to an all-time great team, I think. No, I, I agree. And that's a lot of that is, is the confidence in your own ability. And, you know, one of the things when I, when I coached at McNeese with, with Coach Tommy Tate over there and Coach Vietar, and, and I was mentioning Lance Gidry was over there with Scott Stoker, was another one on the staff. One of the things that I thought was really neat about what we did, we watched film of the opponent, but very little. We, we watched film of us. We, we just, we worried about us. And so let them worry about us, and we'll worry about us. And then we'll, we we just wanted to get a feel for who we were playing. And then we're going to come on Saturday and go see you for real and let you realize that we're going to be a little bit better than you think we are. And and we had a lot of fun with that mentality. You know, uh, you know, Coach Gidry used to use a DWA was his always his slogan. And I'm sure he still used defense with attitude. And, and um, now it made for some practices. Because they practice that way too. I'm, I'm offensive line. Well, we're going to practice that way too, and so we had some hollering across the field and all that. But but when we came to the games, when well, we had been practicing for a game the whole time, and so that made it a lot of fun to go against and to practice that way. And and you had that feeling, that air of confidence in you. Where you didn't worry. You ne- there was never a thought that we were ever going to lose a game. We just. We weren't going to lose. It didn't matter who we played. We played A&M. We played Nebraska. They played in Miami the year before I went there. We played all these. There was never a thought that we were going to lose. It was just, it was the weirdest thing that I had been around, you know, because I had been through a lot of uh, struggles. And uh, we got there, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. And we coached that way and practiced that way and played that way. If we just worried about us, then we weren't going to lose. Keep it loose. Not yeah. to say that you went undefeated, though. No, we didn't. And then we we ended up we we got the national championship. Ended up losing, you know. But but uh, you know, it just it, it still you did not think that way at all. It just was not in. It didn't the DNA. come into your head. No, it never, never did. Came into your never head. Did. And when it doesn't, you're not having the pressure of oh my god, you know, because it's already it's already for you. in your mind. It's it's a foregone conclusion. Just you know how bad are we going to win by? You know, and that just. <laughs> That's not often. That does not happen often. But that's I honestly felt that way, you know, the majority of my time. I know three of my four years at McNeese, I felt that way every Saturday. That's fun. Yeah. Makes it more fun. A lot of fun. A little more loose. A lot loose. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joe Broussard comes in. We kind of keep it loose. I know we had to uh, hit on a few serious topics today with some, uh, you know, tragic passings over the last uh, week plus. But, you know, getting the stories about coaching, talking a little hard knocks, Little college baseball. Uh, we got some more games today. Two elimination games over in Omaha. Texas A&M and Notre Dame at one. Arkansas and Auburn tonight at six. And then uh, the two winners there will try to get past Oklahoma and Ole Miss. But those two teams sitting in the driver's seat right now. And Oklahoma and Texas are going to be in the SEC. It's like, that's yeah. a... Look at that bracket that, now. That, I mean, <laughs> Omaha crazy? is just... 
yeah. almost an SEC tournament with the, the teams there. But um, it is. Uh, How about Peyton Manning in the stands with an Omaha cap? He, he <laughs> he's about a guy that gets the marketing and the oh, jokes. Oh, he's so good. He's so guy. good. You see Tom Brady make fun of him last week. He had some it. like uh, one of these helmet cams or something, but he wasn't wearing a helmet. It was like a head cam, and he was. Now that Tom Brady's in Tampa, he has this whole social media team, and mm-hmm. the angle of it's above his head. It makes his head look huge. And he just said, "The kids call this the the kids told me that this was the Peyton Manning angle." He said, "That's just so rude." And you're seeing this this giant forehead. <laughs> And then Eli Manning got in on Twitter, and he was like, this is the best joke you've ever had in your life, you know. Of course, Peyton's not on social media. I'm like, I guarantee you Eli said this to him. Well, they have a good time with it. I know when when he was in town, we ended up having a crawfish ball at Jake's house, and and Jake was over there, and Jake called him Bucket. Bucket, yeah. Oh, he's got a massive melon now. Uh, Peyton uh, still makes fun of Jake to this day about, when he threw the interception yeah, the of Brandon game. Stokely, and he yeah. just brings it up. All he said, Jake's like, Peyton brings it up every time we talk, and he will not listen to what actually happened. And, and you know, Brandon's like Peyton's best friend, Brandon yeah. Stokely. And Brandon's like, well, it's, I mean, what happened was you threw an intercept, pick six, you know, just gave it to Fred where you lost us the game, Jake. And Jake just. So what he was referring, what Scott's referring to is that J- Brandon is actually signaling, he's, he's at a receiver position, and, and he's raising his hand up in Gainesville in the swamp during yeah, the Spurrier era trying to geek up the crowd well Jake we had a a, a, a short route call Jake thinks Brandon is converting to a go he's telling him he thinks I'm going I'm changing the route going Let to go rip. right so it's a three-step drop Jake goes one two three lets it go on the fade Brandon stops and runs the thing short uh Fred we're weary Catches, runs it in for six. Jake looks at Brandon and said, what are you doing? He said, you just, you told me you were going deep. And he looks at him and says, oh, I was geeking up the crowd. He said, geeking up the crowd? What you? And, you know, Jake They're already Brandon, going nuts. We're on the said, road. Yeah, yeah we're in doing? Gainesville. What are you doing geeking up the crowd? And, um, and so to this up, day, Peyton Manning still makes fun of Jake about it. When Brandon got inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, I'd actually, Brandon's a radio talk show guy. And I'd yeah. flown up. We made the announcement on the air and surprised him and all this stuff. So Jake, is in and calls in and, and and Peyton calls in, but Peyton tells that story, you know, on the air with Brandon and all that stuff. Then Jake calls in, he goes to tell the same story. Brandon telling Jake, uh, uh, Peyton's already told. So they get to arguing again about, well, why would you? Be, no, it's a lot of fun. They have a good time with it. Good stuff. That's Gerald Bruce, our G man. It's great seeing you. Thanks for Always. coming in, and uh, let's do it again soon, brother. Yes, sir. Don't go anywhere. The Dan Patrick Show is next. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.